Welcome to Being Kafka in this second season of Zeitgeister on Air by Goethe Institute and the Current Affairs Podcast Common Ground Berlin. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. It's been a century since the world-renowned Franz Kafka passed away. To honor his legacy and explore his relevance, we bring you this fascinating series with articles you can find at goethe.de forward slash Kafka. You will also learn more about Kafka and the people he influenced in audio episodes like this one. Who should keep Franz Kafka's original writings has been debated by individuals and courts since his death a century ago. But in recent years, one library came up with a modern-day solution that makes his original writings available to anyone with access to the Internet. My guest, Stefan Litt, will tell us more about that. He is a German-Israeli curator, historian, and archivist at the National Library of Israel. I reached him via Zoom in Jerusalem. Stefan, to the casual reader, it doesn't appear Kafka attached much significance to the fate of his personal papers after his death. Is that true? Well, that's uh, partly correct, I would say, and partly maybe wrong, because if he would have been so careless, as you just mentioned right now, he would probably not have taken care for the fate of his papers after his death. But uh, we know that he left two handwritten notes, uh, so-called testaments that he addressed to Max Brod, to his close friend, where he asked him to collect all of his papers from France, from different places, offices, home, and so on and so forth, and um, not to read them and to burn them. So I wouldn't say that someone who does not care about his papers would uh, draft up such a letter. And he did it twice. So I do think that there was um, a kind of importance to him concerning his own papers. And um, my explanation is that maybe he felt that most of the things that he wrote, all the three unfinished novels and his diaries and many short stories he never published, he first and foremost actually wrote them down for himself because he kind of uh, struggled with so many different uh, issues in the world and in everyday life that confused him. And that was his way of uh, getting a therapy. And uh, maybe he correctly, I would say, felt that these papers are really very personal and very special. As you mentioned, his friend Max Brod ended up with uh, these papers. Who was he exactly? Uh, both of them met when they were students in Prague University. Actually, Kafka was a year ahead because he was one year older than Max Brod. And uh, nevertheless, they met being uh, students, young students in law. And uh, they were um, showing up at uh, different events and not connected at all to the university, of course, about philosophy, literature, and uh, things people did more than 100 years ago. Actually, they they started a conversation and a discussion and uh, felt pretty much intellectually pretty much attracted to each other. And there were, I would say, pretty different personalities and characters because uh, Max Brod was um, one who had hardly any doubts about his qualities in literature, in uh, music. Max Brod was also a composer. And uh, literally, whenever he finished uh, a piece, a short story, or even a novel, he would never hesitate to publish it right now. And uh, he was quite a successful author, actually, when he was alive in pre-war Europe. That was exactly the opposite with Franz Kafka, who was so full of doubts about his uh, literary production and 
hesitated all the time whether what he wrote would even be worth printing it and um, not mentioning uh, that others would read it or wanted to read it because he was absolutely not sure about his qualities. But Max Brod was deeply convinced that Kafka is a brilliant author. And he is the one actually who pushed Kafka all the time during his lifetime to finish his works, to publish them, to release them with publishers. And he was the one who decided at the end not to obey the letters that Kafka left him asking for burning all those materials. So he did collect all of them, but then he did exactly the opposite and published everything, literally everything. And uh, by doing so, Max Brod, in fact, made Kafka the author, the world author that we know for many decades now and uh, who is without any question one of the most important authors of the 20th century. So where were all of these manuscripts and personal papers located um, after Franz Kafka died? I mean, where did Max Brod find them? In one of these wills that Max Brod, uh, sorry, Franz Kafka left, he pointed out that there are several places. First, um, at his parents' home in his office and uh, with friends and so on. So Max Bord indeed um, came to all those places, also contacted um, friends of Kafka who had in their hands uh, manuscripts, letters and so on, and he collected everything. So all these materials were with him until 1939, in mid-March, when Max Bord left Prague because he understood that there's no way staying there because of the threat that the Nazi Germans would um, invade into Czechoslovakia, what they did exactly the same day when he left. And he, together with a common friend of Franz Kafka, whose name was Felix Welch, both of them with their wives immigrated to Palestine. And uh, Max Brod had uh, only very few suitcases with him on his way here. And in one of these suitcases were all the writings of Kafka. So he took them with him on the train, on the ship to Palestine, where he came in late March 1939 to Tel Aviv. And he settled down there in Tel Aviv. And in the beginning, he had all those papers at his home. And in 1940, I believe it was, that uh, during World War II, Tel Aviv was bombed by the Italian Air Force. So he became anxious about the fate of those precious materials. And he asked the publisher, Salman Schocken, who came also from Germany and uh, founded the famous Schocken Publishers in Germany, um, who had a private library here in Jerusalem. The building still exists. It's a beautiful building and it's built state of the art for the 1930s as a library building with closed stacks underground stacks and Max Brod asked him to get a safe, actually a vault uh, downstairs to deposit all these materials. And uh, Schocken agreed because he was the publisher who held all the world rights of Franz Kafka. He bought them from Kafka's mother in 1934. And for him, it was also not just thrilling, but also interesting, also from the uh, point of view of a publisher to have the original manuscripts with him, of course. So they stayed there for roughly 15 years. And from time to time, when needed, Max Brod uh, had access to those materials because he was the editor of Kafka's works, beginning in, immediately after Kafka's death until the mid-1950s. By then, all of Kafka's works have been published. Then we had um, 
in between the 1948 independence war of Israel, which um, passed over the library building of Shokinen in Jerusalem without any harm. But then there was the next crisis in 1956, and both Shokin and Max Brod became again anxious about um, the question whether Israel in general is a good place to keep those materials. And so they decided to transfer them to a bank vault in Zurich in Switzerland. And since 1956 until, uh, let's say, the early 1960s, most all of those materials were in Switzerland. Then uh, in the early 60s, uh, Max Bord had established contact with Kafka's heirs. Kafka had, as we know, three sisters. All of them were murdered in the Holocaust, but their children survived. And uh, they knew, of course, Max Bord. He was... Uh, Uncle Max for them, and they re-established their contacts, and uh, they also asked several times, apparently, what about the uh, manuscripts, because they knew that, on the one hand, Broad was obliged to collect all of them, but uh, it was absolutely sure that Kafka never said that all of them would belong to Max Broad, because he wanted him to destroy them. So they most likely argued something like, Uncle Max, you helped us that all these materials survived, but uh, very nice of you, but they are not yours. So please return them to us. There were a couple of items among them that Max Brod was able to prove that Kafka had given him as a present. For example, the complete manuscript of the novel, The Trial, Der Prozess in German. And almost all of the drawings and scribblings that Kafka made during his uh, years, and several other um, pieces, short stories, sketches, literary sketches, and so on and so forth. And uh, but the main bulk was given by Brod back to the heirs, and uh, they decided to deposit them in Oxford at the Bodleian Library, where they are since 1962, I think until today. And uh, this is the biggest Kafka collection worldwide in Oxford. Some of them, though, eventually ended up back in Israel. Was this then Max Bold's collection? And Yes. uh, Okay, go ahead and tell me about that. Yes. So everything that uh, he was not forced to return to or to restitute to the heirs, he kept for himself. But most of these items, again, he decided that Zurich most likely would be a better place to have them there. And uh, we also know that in the early 1940s, he met a lady who also came from Czechoslovakia, a Jewish lady with her family, immigrated as well to Palestine, whose name was Ilse Esther Hoffe. And she became Max Brod's private secretary. They uh, had a very uh, deep relationship, and uh, she apparently showed great interest in Max Brod's work as an author, his editorial work concerning Kafka, and also concerning the materials. So for a reason that we cannot 100% determine what it was, Max Brod decided to give all Kafka's manuscripts remaining in his hands and letters and drawings and so on as a gift to this secretary. And he did that twice uh, in the late 1940s and in the early 1950s. So there's a deed of gift, two deeds of gift, actually, saying that after his death, all these materials will uh, absolutely belong to Mrs. Hoffe. But there was one step that was never made to make sure that this deed of gift is um, valid 
in a legal way, you would have been obliged to go to a notary or something like that in order to get the confirmation of this deed of gift. And they never did that by sorting and arranging Max Brod's personal archive, I found a handwritten note uh, that he left to Mrs. Hoffer saying that, well, we still have to go to the notary in order to make this deed of gift valid 100%. So they were aware about it, but they never did it. And uh, that was uh, the big question uh, concerning the papers of Kafka when it came to the um, court case. But between that, um, in 1968, Max Brod died and he left um, his last will in German. And uh, there you had this paragraph 11 uh, saying that his secretary, Ilse Esterhofer, will be the executor of his um, will and will also be responsible for his papers. And she had to make sure to transfer these papers to a public library or archive. And he mentioned actually two places. The first place was us, the National Library in Jerusalem. The second place was the Municipal Library in Tel Aviv or any other place or library that Mrs. Hoffer would think would be appropriate. In Israel. Now, I think he even pointed out that possibly also outside Israel. After um, saying all this, he added this last sentence that beyond that, she is free to decide whatever she thinks would be the right way to treat those materials. So that was kind of a carte blanche. And uh, as we know, she very soon started to sell away the most precious items, which is most likely not exactly what Brod intended. I don't know. So from at least from 1972, we have proof that she began selling Max Brod's uh, or letters by Kafka to Max Brod, short uh, drafts and manuscripts by Kafka, and she uh, would do over the years the same time and again. And she also sold interesting uh, letters that Max Brod received from his contemporaries. For instance, more than 40 letters he received from Stefan Zweig and uh, other similar materials, which was definitely not the intention of Max Brod, because by doing so, she actually made uh, damage to the whole picture of the Britain estate of Max Brod. We know also that there were negotiations between her and the National Library in the 1980s about transferring the main bulk of Bolt's archive to the National Library, not Kafka's materials, because she was convinced that they are hers. And by the end, she never did anything beyond selling most precious items. So the, the big bang was actually in 1988 when she decided to sell the manuscript of the famous novel, The Trial in Sotheby's in London. Well, she was quite successful because she got $2 million by then, which is uh, also even today uh, quite a lot of money. And uh, 40 years earlier, it was even more. So the manuscript was in the first place bought by a, a private donor who the same week donated it to the Literature Archive in Marbach, which is fine because it's a public institution and state of the art, and they know how to treat these kinds of materials. Tell us how we got to the court case. I mean, in the end, how were you able to get this this uh, collection or what parts yes. of the collection were you able to get back to the National Library? The situation became interesting again when Mrs. Hoffer died in 2006. 
according to the Israeli um, rules, um, the family or the heirs of someone who just passed away have to go to the family court and ask to release the testament to make it valid in a legal way. So they went, but then the library stepped in and said, no, sorry, we know that there's still a, um, an issue unsolved uh, from Mrs. Hoffer because she actually never fulfilled the will of Max Bord. And that's why we, we do not agree that all these materials, which are still in her hands, will just uh, be given away to the next generation because uh, there is something absolutely unsolved from our perspective. And um, in 2008, the court case began, and uh, it took more than a decade. And three different levels of courts up to the Supreme Court in Israel dealt with the same question, who is the owner of Max Bolt's papers, and including Kafka's papers. Because the library lawyer said, well, the, the deed of gift never got uh, 100% confirmation by the legal authorities in the 1940s and 50s, and that's why the gift is not valid, actually. So these papers are still part of Max Bolt's personal archive. In all the courts, the National Library unanimously um, got 100% uh, what she wanted. So all of the, um, the judges involved decided in favor of the library. And by the end, in uh, 2019, we were able to collect the last and most important and most precious part from the mentioned um, bank vaults in Zurich, where still the Kafka papers were kept over the decades. But did you get and the manuscript of the trial back? No. The courts in Israel also said what happened, happened. Okay. Unfortunately, but we do not touch this again because it will make a lot of noise and unnecessary conflict. And uh, we never asked to get it back. And um, that's fine, because we are convinced as long as it is in a, not in private hands, where you would not have access to it, but in a public institution, that's fine for us. And uh, still, we, we uh, received quite a bunch of materials, int very interesting materials, uh, early sketches of a novel, of course, unfinished, because Kafka uh, did not like to finish his novels the wedding preparations in the countryside, it was called. And uh, we have more than 100 drawings and sketches. We have more than 200 letters he sent to Max Brod, which is really a, a nice uh, group of correspondence. And uh, we also have a notebook filled with Hebrew exercises from 1922, apparently, which proves that uh, Kafka was quite advanced in Hebrew. And this is, of course, something that thrills the Israeli public. Uh, because it was rarely discussed before that Kafka did show deep interest in that language and uh, was able to, to read and write and even to talk as his contemporaries witnessed. In 2021, your library decided to make these works available online. Is this the only online collection of Kafka that you're aware of? To the best of my knowledge, yes. <clears throat> there are two other main collections. The one I mentioned before in uh, Oxford, and we know that they uh, did digitize their materials, but as far as I know, they are not available for free online. And the other uh, bulk is in the German Literature Archive in Marbach. And uh, I also think that they did not make any progress in making accessible these materials. How many works are available online in the service that you offer? 
Altogether, I think it sums up to more than 100 catalog records, meaning that a, a record could uh, be a bunch of letters or a manuscript or a drawing or several drawings. We also tried to, to keep in a certain way the arrangement that we found uh, among the papers. But it's, I think, around 100 records which are available. So my last question is, what do you think Franz Kafka would have thought about having an online collection, considering that he initially wanted his works or his letters to be burned? Yes, that's a question that uh, I was asked several times, and that's also, of course, a, a question of ethics. The first we should have asked was uh, Max Brod, and he was indeed asked, um, what about the fact that he in a way betrayed his best friend? And he said, yeah, that's a dilemma. Uh, on the one hand, you have uh, the last will of your best friend. But on the other hand, you see that you would destroy first-class literary material, and you can't do that. And um, I think we simply should follow with uh, Max Bort's thought in that way. To access Kafka's works online through the Israel National Library, go to nli.org.il and then in the search field, type in Kafka Manuscripts, or you can also Google it on the Internet. My guest today was Stefan Litt of the National Library of Israel, and I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Thank you for listening to this interview in our Being Kafka series. Zeitgeister On Air is brought to you by the Goethe Institute. Thanks to all of our friends and partners for making this series possible.